0: important question of your day. Hey, is this being emo?
1: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. This is part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network, JabberjawMedia.com. Fantastic people, fantastic podcasts. This episode, Jason from The Promise Ring. We're going to talk about the artwork, about his career, and his drive to create. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, if you have any comments, suggestions, or complaints,
1: head on over
0: to WashedUpEmo.com and enter all of those in. And I will respond to them accordingly. Hope you enjoy the episode. Jason was a fantastic sport to talk about this. And you're going to enjoy. All right. Uh, So, Jason, thanks for being on the podcast. We are going to talk about Nothing Feels Good because why not talk about the past, right? Because you only lived those four years.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, just quickly, what is it... Did you think that you'd be doing something that... Or do that you would do something that people would still bring up or still talk about or have a podcast about? Or no? Then? Yeah.
1: No. No. But, but also, I guess, like, probably then, I never, like, any good youth, like, thought about anything more than, like, about three months in front of me, so... <laughs>
0: Uh, so with, with, you know, you've, you've designed a lot of stuff, um, for the band. Did you do stuff before Nothing Feels Good? Did you do the seven inches? Were you doing, were you doing stuff beforehand, before that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did a few bits and bobs. Not that much, really. I think, I mean, I started, I kind of just did that with all the bands leading up to Promise Ring. And then I think maybe around then I had done, like I did the first Promise Ring record. I did the first seven inch. I didn't do the East Texas split 7-inch, um, but everything else I think I did. And then I had done some stuff, like I think maybe around then, can't remember if it was before or after, but I was doing some stuff for Joan of Arc, for J Tree, and just other little odds uh, and then.
0: Now, how did you? how did you realize that you were kind of good at it or had an eye, or you started, how did you sort of start? Really completely
1: by accident. Like, I was, I went to, my last two years of high school, or my last year and a half of high school, I went to, I transferred to an alternative school because probably if I didn't, I would have never graduated high school. And it's probably still arguable whether I actually graduated high school because <laughs> uh, the alternative school didn't really have grades. It was kind of past sale. But um, while I was there, like my, one of my, I think it might have been my last semester or definitely my last year, it was like a super tiny school with only like 100 people went to the school. So like all the teachers kind of did double duty doing other things. And we had this like PE teacher, which my gym class was going skating for one hour at the beginning of school. She had like, was double dipping and doing like some computer related stuff. And she, we had like two Macintosh computers at the school and she had ordered all this like software. And at the time I had been like, everybody was obsessed with like, you know, punk scene, like making flyers and, we're making a cassette demo for our thing and and just kind of being arts and crafts. And I'd always been really into art um, and photography. So I just kind of, she had bought all the software and I started using that. And I was like, Oh, we'll kind of do this. This is actually really fun. And that was kind of how I got into it.
0: What was the program that you were using? Cork Express Ah.
1: and PageMaker. No, PageMaker first. All this PageMaker.
0: And what stuff were you doing then? Um, I mean, just, you
1: know, really rudimentary things. I like, I don't really, couldn't do that much with it. This was like 1992. Um, but you know, I was just obsessed with like every record cover, like a band that I loved. And that was kind of how I was just trying to like study them and emulate them.
0: Which ones back then? Ooh,
1: I was like completely obsessed with, uh, everything that 4AD was doing, Vaughn bon Oliver was the, the guy, V23. Like, they pretty much all of that totally consumed, obsessed. It was also that kind of Raygun era where there was, like, it was really kind of, like, the punk rock era of graphic design and, that like, it wasn't about, like, this, like, beautiful Swiss typography. It was more about, like, breaking all those rules. Like, that was kind of when I was getting into it. And then I kind of later gra- gravitated towards the more tidy and orderly
0: were you were you thinking about what were you thinking about when you were looking at a cover were you looking at i mean i guess you're i know you're looking at everything but i'm more more describing the thought process of you looking at a record and what what were you picking out that
1: i think it was just you know then i mean it's such a different era it was like you couldn't find out everything about a band you know on the internet so really like the record cover was like your only like the only artifact to like glean things from, and I mean, of course, like magazines and stuff, a handful of magazines, but and I, I guess certainly a lot of the Bon Oliver's work, a lot of the stuff that was coming out on 4AD, there was definitely, like, a, like, fantastical expo- exploration kind of quality about, like, finding, like, different weird things in the typography, and, like, it was a lot more, there were a lot richer experiences, than like, this is just a CD with a foldout. It was, like, an elaborate thing and, you know, there's a lot more to be discovered and you can kind of read into that and I think that was just my fascination with it.
0: And then were you thinking about, you know, is it a gatefold or does the booklet, because remember that whole, there was that whole thing about, you know, making a crazy CD booklet or making a, you know, it fold differently or there was, you know, a die cut. Were you thinking about those types of things?
1: For our own records, definitely. I mean, I just, I think that we, especially in that era, were like Highly aspirational about every aspect of the band. Uh, so, you know, and the records were just another facet of that, like trying to make them like, what else could we do that would make it extra special or different or interesting? So,
0: yeah, definitely thinking about all different kinds of packaging ideas. And then, so after you were looking at the 4AD stuff and you're, you know, getting inspired and seeing those things. Um... You know, when did you kind of realize that? Wow, I kind of have a knack. I can do this, maybe full time, or I can keep doing this, or I can, you know, help the band out. But I can help other people. Like if it was Joan of Arc. Um, yeah,
1: I always just. I mean, I think it kind of happened naturally. Like people were just like, "Okay, oh, hey, you you did that for your own band. Like, can you do it for our band?" or Especially when you know we were on Jay Teresa when they had needs, and you know, I was always up for it, and it was a little extra cash on the side. I think that at the time. I remember feeling like there's no way I could ever do this full-time professionally because it was like, I just couldn't imagine having to like go through that process like every single day of like dreaming something up out of nothing. Like it's a little like gut wrenching. Mm It still is of course. Um, So, but you know, fortunately at that time it was like, we were tooling a ton and I did not really have to be faced with that. So it was like, yeah, you know, this is like a really fun thing part time, and you always got to collaborate with cool people. Like doing all the John Bar stuff was amazing. You know, working alongside Tim Kinsella. and I would say ninety percent of all of that was like his genius, and me just like making sense of all of his genius.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, then, and then you did a lot of stuff with Tim Owen too. That was, you know, a great photographer.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, for nothing feels good, I would say eighty percent of that is Tim Owen. And, you know, and then me just kind of organizing it and and seeing that, seeing something in the photographs and being able to shape that. I mean, it was a little bit of kismet, really.
0: So, I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, I was kind of doing what you did with 4AD. I just kind of like stared at the record again, because usually you don't get to do that much anymore. And you're kind of staring (laughs) at the packaging and staring at the and I think what was really impactful, and I, lo- I know a lot of people took out of it, was definitely the circles, the colors, a lot of the white, um, and then, you know, the sort of the carnival scene. There's happy things going on. There's complete circles. It's called Nothing Feels Good, but it's supposed to be a sad record, you know, or what's, that's what it was supposed to be, I think, for people. They got it. They're like, oh, this is an emo record. It's going to be sad. But it was such a happy thing. Um, yeah. What were, what were some, when, I mean, what, when, when your screen was blank and <laughs> was, it Tim <laughs> was Tim giving you the photos or were, did you have a conversation? What was sort of those, those first few things? If you, can yeah, remember? no, I
1: mean, it came, it was, it came completely out of nowhere. I can't, I mean, I don't remember exactly how it was, but I know that, you know, we were starting to think about it and I think Tim had just gone to that like amusement park and shot that stuff. I was like, Oh, I have this stuff. Let me send it to you. Um, and it, for me, just kind of made, it was like this perfect thing. It totally made sense because it was like, I think that, that the record is really happy, but there's also a melancholy. And I think we were somewhat maybe like very serious, morose young men. <laughs> um, so that really kind of worked for it. But um, the images were really great because they had this juxtaposition of like, it was a, an amusement park, but it was also closed and kind of somewhat abandoned. Not that many people there. And then, you know, kind of wrapping all of that, like, really colorful stuff around it was just sort of, like,
0: playing both sides of that coin. And wh- how did you pick the uh, typography?
1: Um, I was just, I feel like I always go through phases of being obsessed with certain typefaces, and all of that stuff is set in universe, and I was just kind of, I think I had an obsession with the the, the letter G in universe, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and just, yeah, it just, it worked it's all and- right.
0: And then the circles and those colors, because you use those for, I remember there was a t-shirt, there was like a, um, a you know, beautiful t-shirt with some of the little imagery from that. Or no, no, sorry, that was a very emergency. I'm going, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm jumping ahead. So with the circles <laughs> on Nothing Feels Good, was that a like, oops, I just pasted something on here? Oh, wait, that looks good? Or what was the...
1: <laughs> because yeah, mean,
0: everything's by accident, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: really, it's not that interesting because, yeah, actually, totally. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, Especially in that era, my, my like, process was, was anything but rigorous, and it was really about, like, just kind of pushing stuff around until it feels like it kind of comes together. I've always, like, I mean, I've always said about design, for me, it's, like, there's always a moment where it, like, switches over from being totally nothing to, like, oh, I see it coming together. There's, like, always this moment of, like, oh, that's just the right amount of elements or just the right balance or there's enough tension, enough contrast or enough texture or something like that. And I feel like that was just kind of, you know, but, but until that moment, it's always like, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. This is garbage. I'm completely (laughs) talentless. Uh,
0: and what was I going to say? The, um, I think, you know, what, what, what tools were you using? Were you using some, you know, was it like a, was it like a version of Photoshop or was it something even before that? What was sort of the, me- yeah, I
1: mean in that era, it's funny, like that was sort of just before I mean Photoshop is really so rudimentary. I think layers didn't even exist at that point in Photoshop. So it was like whatever you did was like completely destructive <laughs> to the image. Wow. Um and yeah, so I was probably using I don't think I hadn't even switched over to Quark Express. I was like a really late adopter to Quark Express. And I had this really good friend, Scott Kaczynski, who was a really great designer in Madison, and he worked at the service Bureau, and he would end up doing like most of the like production and at the service Bureau for any of the records please you know it doesn't matter. it was like you have to have se- film separations made for everything um and I would always like because I had no like formal training or like I had never worked at a service bureau, like there was the huge technical aspect to it at that point, and he would always kind of bail me out, so I was using. I think I was using, yeah, mostly just PageMaker and probably some Photoshop. I probably was doing some, like, photo balancing and coloration and stuff like that.
0: Were you learning these programs on the fly? Or was it Yeah, just, completely. There was, like, no booklet, no, just sort of like, oh, okay, this does this, and then start going.
1: No, it was always, like, get a, somehow acquire a bootleg version of the program that's wildly expensive and just figure out how to use it.
0: <laughs> and then why do you feel... Uh, I mean, I mean, but you might not have an opinion, but I think, I mean, Nothing Feels Good gets referenced not only musically, but artistically. Um, and I think it impacted that era, and I think people still kind of look back on that. Did you, is there any sort of feeling of, of, of why or what was sort of the magic sauce?
1: I mean, I don't know what it is, but I think that there is something just magical about, like, it's like that record, that time... I think the artwork definitely does a lot of that work to communicate what that feeling was. It's just kind of crystallizing a moment in time, really. And I think it was just, yeah, I mean, somewhat accidental, but interesting. You yeah.
0: Know? I just think you mentioned that earlier about you, yeah, that is your, that's the impact. That's the, that's the YouTube page. That's the Facebook page. That's everything at once in that artwork. Before, I mean, someone knows what you look like based on that photo in that record. Completely. Yeah, totally. Um, and if, and if you guys all looked different or wore masks, no one would have found you. Um, yeah. and I do feel, I do, you know, yes, it came out in that certain year, but I think anyone from that era can see that. And then they're, 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 they're brought back right to that moment. Um, and I know other records do that, but there's something about this one, especially the design work. And I think people, I mean, I had friends that would use circles. I probably did on something just because of that record. <laughs> That's
1: funny. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because in that era, I guess it was like you had a lot more control over like how people perceived you by you know because there were so few touch points on how they could sort of gather what they thought about you or form an opinion about who you were as a band or what you looked like or what your record looked like. Like that stuff had to telegraph a lot of like it did a lot more work than it does now. You know, now it's like the cover you can, you can broadcast that stuff everywhere in a million different outlets and. You know, then it was like that might be the only thing that anyone ever sees, and they might not even have the record. They might just see like just the record cover in a magazine as like a review or something, and think like, oh, maybe they want to buy that. I don't know if that is. It looks interesting, or it's captivating, or there's something about it, it has like, a good emotional quality. Yeah,
0: there's weird. A, there's a I've. I guess. I mean. I've thought about it because I do a podcast, but I. I never really thought like that. You're right. That's that cover had such a moment. You needed to pull them in and do so many things with just that one thing. Yeah, yes, totally. you, yes, or, you still or do it now, not but not true. really.
1: Oh, well, like a lot of bands, di- you know, chose not to. I, I always like tell the story because it sort of like dates that time and period and just like how the landscape of like publicity and everything has changed so much Is like, I remember we were, we went on tour to Europe and right before we left for Europe, we got a cassette, uh, pre-release of Bound Sebastian. If you're feeling sinister, and, you know, like a cassette pre-release is like, there's nothing on it. There's no information. It was just basically like, here's some songs and think like Josh Modell, like shoved it in someone's bag as we were like leaving, getting on the plane. And we were obsessed with that record. And we listened to it for like six straight weeks. And it was, like, you formed your opinion about the thing. And I thought it was a woman singing, like, and just, like, you know, it was all about the songs kind of doing all that work and telling the story and what you imagined it to be. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, they purposely didn't do press for, like, a few years and you just really couldn't know anything. And it left you like, starving for that. Like, I wanted to know more and wanted to know more. It was, like, it drew you in so much. And that doesn't really exist anymore, you know? Like, you can't, well, most people don't choose to do that anyway. But it was, like this totally magical thing that you like wanted to find out more about, but couldn't just really cool.
0: And you would, you would go to a show because someone told you that this was cool and you had this, I mean, on the way to the show, it wasn't like you could load it up on Spotify. Um, no,
1: totally. And you couldn't, you maybe couldn't find out. Like that was where you had to go because you couldn't really find out anything more.
0: And I know it sounds old, and I mean, the podcast, the podcast is called Washed Up Emo, but um, there's not... A, I mean, there's things I don't miss, I mean, I, I, about that time period. I mean, there's a lot of things I don't, but I do miss that, just those little moments. Um oh, right. Like the no phones, the, you know, that kind of stuff, um, and uh, I, just having something that impactful and um, being art, uh, not just the music, there was, you know, more to it, um, that was really cool. The, uh, yeah. The, uh, I guess now, I mean, did you, when you know, if it was working on other records or um, things, you know, you started making it sort of your career right after after the Promise Ring, or was there, were there more things that, did it kind of get started while you were still work, uh with the band? Yeah,
1: I got started more when we were still doing the band. I guess, like, maybe not so early as nothing feels good, but probably a little bit later, I was just doing a lot more work and doing a lot, a ton of record, you know, work in the music industry.
0: What was like was the really shittiest fun. one? What was the shittiest one you had to do? You can, you can, you, oh, you, you can just, des- you can describe. Well, look, we're watching. I up. know
1: exactly what it is, and I have no problem telling you what it is. But Fantastic. I remember the band's name. It was for. I remember who it was for. It was a picture disc for Rhetoric Records. It was this record label out of Madison that actually put out the uh, Number Standing record. And it was this horrid picture disc that I had to do, and it was so awful. I can't remember who it was. Hmm.
0: Is it like, a, is it like an actual band or like a local band from Madison? What is this? No, no,
1: it's like an actual band. I mean, I, you know,
0: I guess they're all relatives.
1: <laughs> but I think, I want to say maybe it was Horace Pinker.
0: Hmm.
1: Do you remember that band?
0: I remember the it was name. From like
1: the West Coast. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: No shade on Horace Pinker. It was probably mostly my fault.
0: <laughs> Actually, it
1: probably wasn't. But, it, but I still had to put it together. So it was more of a production work wasn't <laughs> it was not a whole lot of art poured into that record uh
0: and then i mean uh was there were there were there major label ones and or was it mostly the indie world
1: um yeah, some major label things like i did i mean much later i did like the i did a greatest hits record for the counting crows um i did it was kind of more i worked more with the guys from Jimmy world and put together our work for clarity. Oh wait, I forgot about that. Yeah. And yeah, that was later. Um, God, who was it that took all the pictures
0: for clarity?
1: Yeah. I forget who it was. It was uh sad, I'm so horrible. Um, i going just think about that. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I did that. Um, that was cool. And
0: that, that probably opened up a few doors.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, that was kind of later era. I mean, we were doing tons of stuff. Like, I did, like, the Chats of Brazil records around that time. Did those couple of Joan of Arc records. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't working that much because we were still touring a ton. So it's kind of just like when I was home for a stretch and would fit it in.
0: That is so bad on me. I bet everyone listening is like, you're an idiot, Tom. You didn't I remember did the... lots of stuff. I know, but it's like you know. I guess I'm. I'm Why I'm actually
1: terrible at like self-promotion too. Like I, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, I did like a million things. I did like a Jay June record. I did a lot of work for. um, It was really good, actually, and super fun and super creative. For what is that? They were a Christian label out of Seattle. Tooth and nail. Tooth and nail, and I did this record called Bon Voyage, for this guy Jason something but it was a three piece and it was really cool and Tim Olin shot all Tim has kind of like a good relationship with this guy Brandon who owned to the nail and like I think Tim shot was like when Tim was still working a lot doing photography and he had shot them and then we kind of collaborated and did the artwork and it was actually really cool they were like they were a little cooler than most bands that I ever got to work with like you know aesthetically so it was really nice
0: oh rad that's so funny, I forgot about the Clarity and then the Jets records too, of course.
1: Oh did Nathan Larson's solo album. That was really cool. Which that one again? One. What what was that? Uh Nathan Larson oh, okay. uh from Sure to Think. Did his solo album. It's funny when you start to think about it. You're like, oh yeah, I Do You, you don't have a website with all these listed? <laughs> no, and I've actually been so bad at keeping all the mechanicals. I mean all the J Tree stuff, they had to like we had to rebuild a lot of that stuff. Because, like, even the printer lost all the films and didn't have the plates. So,
0: you need an archivist. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man, you don't have a place for all these? Yeah, no. God, you're just like, what's next? Now, you're like, now next. It's the digital
1: era. Yeah, I am totally. I'm actually like, throw it away. And when I moved from Chicago, I like had all these, like, elk like on my whole vinyl collection. And that was like the end of the move. And I
0: was like, I really want to move this. I just bend it. <laughs> you like, fuck it. I don't need any like,
1: of shit. Like next to my apartment in Chicago. I like, throw this creative record. Later.
0: <laughs> Some kid walked by. Uh, hey, look at hey. this box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I guess, you know, uh, moving into sort of the, the professional side of the artwork and graphic design what are some things that you got into that you didn't think would be doing or brands or what were sort of some of the i mean obviously it's you know it is like putting together a record because you've got a theme you've got you've got a a voice you're trying to get across What, what were some of the things you liked
1: um yeah it's funny i mean when the band split up i kind of was like well you know like i mean i was sort of looking at like the fork in the road right i was like well you know for promising like i feel like we did really well and we're super fortunate and that was about seven or eight years and sort of ended and i was like do i want to like throw everything into like doing a new band and be in this same place in another eight years like it's not so bad when you're in your late 20s but i was like i don't know if i want to be in my late 30s and be in that position so and i was like you know i had always obviously been excited about design and. I thought so it'd be fun to throw myself into that. So I moved, I moved to New York and kind of connected with, um, my current business partner, actually Matt Ellen, um, who I had been, a fan of his work. Like he had run a, he had a record label and just been in the kind of like punk scene, but he was like way more like started his like professional design career, like right out of college or out of grad school anyway. Um, and yeah, so now, I mean, we've been running a studio called Athletics for about a little over 10 years um, and just doing a lot more brand stuff. And it's funny because, like, one of my other business partners, Malcolm, he's uh, Scottish and he spent a lot of time in, like, London in the early 90s, kind of the same time that I was doing record covers and he was doing record covers there. And it was actually stuff that I was completely obsessed with. Like, he designed the Everything But the Girl Walking Wounded LP. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's kind of a funny thing that like, we met later. And I met him actually while I was working. I, he hired me into this branding agency called Wolf Um That's where we first worked together for, uh, I think I worked there for a couple years. And then now he's one of my business partners. But it's funny because he always has, he's probably said it before, like, you know, brand projects. is Like, it's kind of not that different at the end of the day than making a really great record cover. Because like, if you can distill and capture that kind of like feeling, in like a little, in a little square, it's like you can probably do that for a brand. It's kind of the same impulse, especially then. You know, with like you were designing whole campaigns of like it's the album, and then it's all the singles. It's like you were kind of creating the brand for a band, in, in essence. So now I'm kind of doing that, just not for bands, for bigger corporations.
0: I mean, you're right. That is, it's such. It's they, you're scrolling through pages, or you're scrolling through, or you're on the subway and you see a thing that has to convey everything in those moments. And that is like 1997 with seeing nothing feels good in Maximum Rock and Roll. You hope to God yeah, somebody fucking saw it.
1: And like telling the story, you know, it's like what is it? You know, what? It's not just about like the logo. It's kind of about the whole world. So that was an interesting analogy. But I think it was some truth to it. Not quite as simple as that, but you
0: know. Yeah. What was, what's the, what's the time spent if it's, you know, from conception to finish for some of those records. And then, you know, obviously a brand is different because there's a lot more makers and people coming in and blowing up at the last minute kind of thing. But what was sort of some of the time frames for both brand and art for bands?
1: Uh, for, I mean, you know, records, <laughs> records were usually pretty swift. I mean, which is probably mostly down to just budgets Like people didn't have, you know, you were getting paid $500 to do a record. It's like, you can't really afford to spend six months doing it while you're making a pittance. Yeah. Um, you know, those projects would usually be more like three weeks, four weeks, but spread over time, possibly or not, or like Tim Patel comes to your house and you design a record from front to back in eight hours which is, you know, another way of doing it. I mean, for brand stuff, it's like for, our, you know, professional stuff that we do at Athletics, it varies wildly. You know, we can do a brand project in four weeks or if it's really big and there's a lot of strategy, it could be six months, so.
0: And you still like doing different. it?
1: I do. Yeah, I love doing it. I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy. And I would say it's gotten easier in some respects, but not easier in a lot of respects. It's still... At the end of the day, you know, you're dreaming stuff up from out of nothing most of the time. I mean, ideally, there's some strategy in place, so you're not completely making stuff up. But, but uh, yeah, I love it. It's great.
0: What, what, what kind of stuff would you want to do next? Like what would be if, you, you know, someone said you can do whatever you want with graphic design tomorrow? What would you want to do?
1: Um, if I could do anything that I wanted, I think I would consider shifting from less formal graphic design and doing more like experience design for events or do interiors, which we're actually starting to do at, at the studio. We've done some interior projects for a few clients, stuff like that. Just,
0: you know. Could you explain I'm those? Always,
1: like, did,
0: sorry? I- explain experience and then interiors, because I don't know if everybody would know.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, experience would be... So we've done some stuff for um, – some work for the Center for Architecture, so designing, uh, like, exhibitions for, you know, artworks um, or doing, like, events. Like, well, you know, when you walk into the event, what does it look like? Like, you know, what does all the uh, industrial design look like? And then interiors, we do, like, we have, have, like, you know, some some clients that are like, hey, you're doing our brand right now, and we're moving into a new office, and our old office is – not that appealing for our clients. We want to extend, you know, all this creative work. We want to like, look like on the inside, like what we look like with the new brand on the outside. So we'll go in and read, we've been doing like some interior design projects. So it's kind of just a different thing, but I'm always like, I'm super restless creatively and I always want to like, figure out how to do another thing. So it's kind of nice to have those opportunities. You know, there's, there's,
0: that's really cool, but so fun. Yeah. Those are awesome. And me asking what those were, that was me. That was just joking that the people wanted <laughs> to know. I actually wanted to know.
1: Uh, that, <laughs> I hope I explained it. It was perfect. A manner.
0: Oh, man. I'm really slow and you did a great job. Um, what are you... Uh, and then just have a couple more. What sort of... How, are, how do you consume art or continue to sort of... You said you're restless, but how are you sort of consuming it? Is it... If it's museums or if it's just uh, different... Uh, you know if it's a magazine from a different country that what what are some of the things that you're constantly sort of filling your brain with to be inspired um
1: or? I mean everywhere obviously the easiest thing day to day is the internet, the world wide web where everything is at your fingertips <laughs> um, but then yeah I mean also just like tons of magazines I still buy a ton of magazines like I have a house up in the Catskills and we don't well we actually discard cable, but for the last eight years we haven't had any like cable or TV or anything. So we would get like magazine subscriptions and send them all up there. So you basically just spend the weekend looking at magazines, which is awesome. Um, I'm still a fan of the printed page.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, otherwise, sure, like museums, galleries, kind of everywhere.
0: And then if someone's sitting there and they're like, I loved what you do, I love your art stuff, I'm just f- starting out. I think it's interesting starting now is it? you sort of have this whole history of the internet. You didn't really have it before. You kind of were both. You didn't have it, and then you did. Um, yeah. And maybe that's, I feel like that's a thats a good thing because you've, you've sort of been able to create without it, and I think it's a different skill. What would you, if someone's listening and says, you know, I want to be a graphic designer, I want to do these things, and they're starting out on the internet, is there any sort of little tips or ways to maybe think without the internet? I don't know if that's one. Or I'm making Um, complete sense. No sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I think it's the funny thing is about the internet. is like the internet hasn't changed design only in that it's changed expectations. You know, like you kind of have to be, Yeah, before the internet, you didn't really have to be that visually astute or like you didn't have to have like this vast knowledge of everything that's out there and every, you know, cultural design reference wasn't expected because it was impossible. (laughs) Whereas now, like, you can be like, I'm a student, and I know everything about every single design, you know, system. But I think the the biggest thing for me, and it's like and we always have students who that come to the studio, and it's like it's the most important thing and the thing that, like, I always had just because, I don't know why, I guess somewhat of a punk rock uh, ethos, but so it was just about, like, self-starting, finding projects to do and not waiting for, someone to say, like, hey, go design this thing for this specific purpose. It's like, I think it's important to, like, make those projects up for yourself. It was inside you to do it.
0: It was, like, inside you to do it. You didn't need anybody to tell you, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you just want anything that you really are passionate about, you probably will do it. It's almost like you don't ever have to tell anyone that they should do it, because they will either do it or they will not, Mm -hmm. and they will either be you know, I had no formal training as a designer. But you if you're really excited about something and you really want to learn everything about it and you want to do it, you'll just do it. You don't really need someone to tell you to do it.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I think you should do? And maybe you've done this and I'm completely oblivious because um, I'm not on the World Wide Web. Um, I'm kidding. The have you, <laughs> have you ever done, you know, have you ever presented, you know, your work or your, you know, if it's artwork... Um, for bands from a certain era, like have you ever thought about doing that?
1: Um, no, because I have like the most crushing and crippling uh, social anxiety <laughs> to do any public speaking. <laughs> you came on so the podcast before thought, in front of I people. Thought about it, yeah, I know. That's how good of a friend I am to Norm. <laughs> Let that go down. One check in the Jason column. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I am like have like such like totally crushing social anxiety for for public speaking. Can't do it.
0: What if it was? I have like, done it. What was? It? Oh, so you have presented, presented your art before?
1: Um, I've done like a few things just with the studio, never by myself. We did a thing at the Times Center for. What was it for? It might have been for AIGA or something. Um, but yeah. Can't do it.
0: Vertigo. I'm gonna have to work on that with you. I think Xanax. No, I'm gonna. Yeah, maybe I'll get you a ton of Xanax. We'll do like a taped message, you know, when like the the you know the winner at the <laughs> Oscars isn't there and they're filming in Bali. Totally. You know, let's let's just do that. Great. Exactly. Great. It's settled. I didn't even bring that up. You're doing the you're doing the reunion show, New Year's Eve. Uh, yeah. nothing feels good and then plus the hits and you just yeah. said i mean it's just an excuse to hang with your friends right
1: yeah it's awesome i always look forward to it it's funny how you can be you can have so much time in between and it's like literally getting the same like that when maritime played, they all came and stayed with me that night and it was awesome it's like you just like can kind of pick right back up, it's kind of funny, yeah. And I, everyone was, has the
0: same sense of humor, oh, yeah. And then the funniest thing I was joking is I posted some of the news on the site, and you know, you guys did something, you know, in 2012, there was something before, you know, kind of been off and on. You did the um, and this one kid was like, Oh, darn it, I'm not 21 yet, or whatever or 18, or whatever it was, the, the age thing. And I go, That's crazy, like, he's literally been waiting, and now you guys are doing this thing, and he can't go. <laughs> But that's well. Like, it's crazier that he could be my child. <laughs> Maybe he is.
1: Maybe he is.
0: You never know. there. Well, okay.